Are you interested in learning more about how to start your Salesforce career? Be sure to register for our next live webinar showing you exactly how the Salesforce Career Development Program works, our latest statistics, and up-to-date information about what's going on in the Salesforce ecosystem. To register now, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash live. That's talentstacker.com forward slash L-I-V-E. We look forward to seeing you on the next live webinar. Bradley and I are on like opposite ends of this. I think dual monitors like for the win, for sure. All right, I'll let you have it. Dual monitors <laughs> for the win. I'm all about command tab. That is my life. <laughs> Hi, I'm Anita Smith. I'm Bradley Rice. And, and you're, you're listening, listening to, to the Salesforce, Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In today's Q&A episode, find out why so many people succeed in a new Salesforce career, even without a tech background or college degree. We're saying, hey, this is a really great career to go down. So then obviously I must need a college degree. And no, you absolutely do not. Also, find out how you can dial up your personal branding on LinkedIn without getting caught by your boss. What if someone is worried that their boss will see all these changes that they're making on LinkedIn? How do they avoid that? Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Salesforce for Everyone podcast. In the last few episodes, we've been having some amazing guests on talking about the transformation that their lives have had because of the Salesforce careers that they've started here in just the last year. In these next few episodes, we're going to be answering questions from the audience. So we had a post on LinkedIn, Facebook, and we had a few questions asked in the comments for the podcast itself. And so what we've done is we've consolidated those questions and we are going to be answering those right here on the show in the next few episodes. So in this episode, we're going to be answering some of those more basic entry-level questions. And with me to help get these questions answered today, I've got Anita Smith. So how's it going, Anita? Hey, it's going pretty well. I am really excited for these questions because these are all the questions I had when I first started. This is sort of the interesting part because we've answered so many of these questions through emails and LinkedIn and private messages. And we're doing this day in, day out. But I think we finally get to answer these questions in a way that you know we can provide these answers to people in a much more scalable way. So I'm really excited to dive in on these. Yeah. I mean, I had a lot of these same questions when I first started and I honestly was like too shy or afraid to ask them. So I appreciate us actually going through these and answering them on the podcast. So let's go ahead and get started. A very basic one. And this gets asked quite a bit. What is the basic compatible gear, hardware, or computer system needed to get started? Yeah, that's a good question. And especially for people who are coming from jobs where maybe their computers are provided or they just haven't needed to use a computer for their jobs or in their personal lives all that much. And so really, I think the first thing to note is the typical advice is do not get a Chromebook because when you're getting your Salesforce certification exam, the tool, it's called Sentinel that you need to install for security purposes when you're taking the certification exam. Chromebooks can't actually install Sentinel. So that gets you in some trouble. Other than that, from my understanding, it's pretty much any computer. So if you want to get on Amazon and maybe just find the cheapest Acer computer out there because you just want to get by right now, you can absolutely do that. I've even heard of people just borrowing a basic laptop from a friend in the meantime, especially when they're just figuring out, do I really want to do this? Is a Salesforce career something I'm really going to take action on and make this thing happen? 
And a lot of times you can just borrow that secondhand computer from a friend and knock this out for a few months. And then the cool thing is once you land your Salesforce job, your employer is going to provide that computer anyway. Yep. I was going to say that too. Like my personal laptop is Mac, but my client sent me a computer when I started working for them. So, and that's a PC. So both types work really well with Salesforce. Yeah. And it, it's really up to you know your personal preference if you want all those external monitors and a mouse and keyboard and whatever you're comfortable with. But for me, since day one, I have used a laptop with really nothing attached to it. And it really helps me for you know, think about if you're going to be traveling or, you know, how it fits in with your personal life. A lot of people get these massive laptops because then they can game on it or do these other things. But think about your life and how it fits in. You might want to just get something kind of small and compact so you can travel with it, do it in the car, you know, if somebody else is driving or whatnot. <laughs> That's so not normal. Like once I've gone to dual screen, I like it's so hard to go back, especially like you know, if you can afford it, try to do dual screen because it makes it so much easier when you're on trailhead because you can look at the module and read the instructions on one screen and the other screen, you can actually work in the org and do what it's asking for. Bradley and I are on like opposite ends of this. I think dual monitors like for the win, for sure. All right, I'll let you have it. Dual monitors <laughs> for the win. I'm all about command tab. That is my life. <laughs> All right, let's move on to the next question. This one's another really common one. I think we all ask this one. How many hours should you study every day so you can pass the Salesforce admin exam? All right, so I'm going to do my best to answer this question generically with sort of like a ballpark number. And I know that some people who consider themselves maybe not great test takers are going to be like screaming at the podcast right now going like, no, it takes way longer than that. And then I think other people are going to be like, it wasn't that hard. I just knocked it out. But general advice, I would say expect on the low end to probably put about 100 to 120 hours in on this. On the high end, if you just need more time or these concepts are just not clicking for you and it takes a little while to get to that point where it's like, okay, now I get it. You might be closer to 200 hours. So when I break that down as a structure, it's like, okay, if you can put in 10 hours a week, and you can do that for about 12 to 15 weeks, then that's probably what you're looking at as far as actually going through the study material and understanding the concepts and then giving yourself some time to go through practice exams and iterate over those and then go back and do some restudy. I would say, you know, if I had to pick a number, I'd say give yourself about 150 hours. Yeah, I think that's pretty spot on because I was just doing the math in my head for when I studied. I was laid off at this point. So I had the time to spend like eight hours a day studying. And I studied for about a month before I took the exam. So that's that falls at around 160 hours. So that's pretty accurate. Also, what I find if if you can't do it every day, and if you and there's a lot of gaps between the days that you're studying, you might take a little bit longer just because you know, you tend to forget things over time. So if you can try to fit more in a shorter period of time, if it's possible. Yeah. And I think just to layer on that tip, like if everybody didn't take that away from what Anita just said, that tip of even if you can just get in 30 minutes in a day or even just like 15 minutes in a day, just to get your brain warmed up to these ideas. So if you don't have time, even if you can squeeze in 15 or 20 minutes to just do a little bit of refresh on something you were doing yesterday, do that instead of you know, taking off Monday through Friday and then just hammering it on Saturday and then taking off the whole week again and going after it on Saturday. Because to her point, it's going to take you time just to warm back up to those ideas and remember some of those concepts. So I would prefer you do a little bit each day than doing a lot on one or two particular days. 
And then another question that usually comes up when we talk about studying is people ask, like, do I need to take notes while I'm studying? That's a good question. I think that's a little bit of a personal learning question. I, I know there are some people who are like, where can I print out all of the material for the exam? And if you're that type of person where you're like, I just need my hands on it, then you're probably going to want to take a lot of notes, right? But for me, even when I was going through like high school, I quickly learned that I would miss the information because I was too busy trying to take notes and not even focusing on what I was taking notes about. So instead of actually understanding the information and learning it, it's like you you read a term and then you write down the definition and then you move on. Like for some reason, that means you learned it without actually understanding what you're reading and what you're writing down. So I think it depends on the person. I would prefer to like sort of go through the trails and take the questions. And if I'm missing things or not understanding things, I'd probably take some notes on that. But otherwise, I would focus more on getting through the trails and super badges than trying to perfect every little thing along the way. If I had taken notes the whole time, it would have taken me four times as long to get through it. As you're going through these trails and these modules, don't feel like you have to memorize everything. You're learning more than you realize. So just go through the steps and like you're learning on like how to get to set up, on how to get to different areas and how to fix certain things. All those things, you can Google it later if you're not familiar. Like just remember keywords and terminology, just things that'll help you come up with questions to type in Google. And 99% of the time, your answers, you can find them just by researching. Yeah. So for those people too, that are just like, they feel like this is chaos. Like if you're five hours in and you're like, I just don't get it. This is not clicking. I don't understand. Don't let yourself think just immediately Salesforce isn't for me. And I know we mentioned this in a previous episode because I think I like made an analogy to like learning guitar. But like when you're learning something new, it's going to take time. And this is a big deal. This is a career. This is a high paying, you know, not just a job, but a career that is in front of you. It's going to take a little bit of time to understand this. So give yourself at least, you know, 10 or 15 hours before you start telling yourself, you know what, I just don't think my mind works this way. Because I think you'll find that these concepts really start to click. So to Anita's point, don't think you need to understand everything right away. Give yourself time to learn this. That might mean you're moving through some of these modules and you feel like you're just clicking the buttons and going through the motions. But to her point, you are learning more than you realize. Give yourself some time to get to that point. All right. Here's an easy question for you, Bradley. I don't have a tech background or specialized college degree. Can this work for me? Yeah, we get that question a lot. And that's fair because I think societally, it's been that if you don't have a college degree, then you can't do anything. That's like a really great job or career. And we're saying, hey, this is a really great career to go down. So the connection would be, well, then obviously I must need a college degree. And the answer is no, you absolutely do not. So in previous episodes, I know specifically we talked to Nicholas Wenzel, who was able to get his GED and then drop out of community college and land a Salesforce job and is very successful. And that's not an isolated event. We've seen that time and time again. So no, the certifications and experience in the Salesforce ecosystem are going to speak much more loudly than your college degree. You know, if you have a computer science degree or something like that, then absolutely, that's going to give you a lot of leverage. But if you're talking about just having a random, you know, history degree or psychology degree or arts degree, or really the list goes on, 
it's just not meaningful to this career path and you don't need it to succeed in this career path. Yeah. And if you want to listen to that episode where Nick talks about his journey, head over to talentstacker.com forward slash zero one zero. That is on episode 10. I mean, from my experience and what I've seen, of course, everyone, like most of the people who are in talent stack are pivoting from a non-tech background, but like even like the one or two we do see, I mean, we see them land jobs faster, but we have like so much proof that you don't need a specialized background or degree to get into Salesforce. All right. Next question. This is from a listener. Could you talk a little bit about how to vet the companies you're interviewing for? Yeah, that's a good question. And the the common knowledge, I don't think holds up too well here. You know, a lot of people talk about Glassdoor or go check it out over there. But, you know, Glassdoor is for the entire company, right? So you're looking at people working anywhere from phone support all the way up to technical executives or whatever else. And, you know, a lot of times you can see, you know, what their titles are and things like that. But it's just such a mixed bag. And especially with Glassdoor, you know, I've worked at companies where they incentivize us to go leave positive reviews on Glassdoor. And then on the other side of things, people are going to tend to leave negative reviews. Like when they quit a company or when they get fired, that's when they're heading out to Glassdoor to leave those reviews. So I don't think it's fair to go that direction. So following any advice not to do something, I think I've got to tell you what I would actually do. So if you're looking to vet a company, the number one thing that I would do is you're going through interviews. You don't need to vet them if they're not even you know interested or trying to interview you at that point, I wouldn't think. So if you're going through interviews, ask those questions. Typically, they give you a chance and they say like, hey, do you have any questions for us? Don't just pass that off as a way to you know be nice or ask some basic question. Ask questions. Ask real questions. Did you have something at a previous job where it really bothered you or you quit a job in the past because of a toxic work environment? Ask a question about their culture, how they work how they handle situations. You know, you can ask them, how did your company handle coming through the pandemic? How did your company handle the 2008 recession? And all those types of questions. If you're feeling uncomfortable, you can ask those questions. So vetting a company starts with having open lines of communication with the company. Another thing you can do is hop on LinkedIn, which you should already be there. If you've been listening to this podcast, you should be on LinkedIn at this point. And go look at people who work at the company and look for titles that are similar to the one that you're interviewing for and just send them a private message and let them know that, you know, I'm interviewing with the company. This is a big deal for me transitioning into a new career. And I was wondering if you could just be open and honest just between us. How do you like working at the company? And does it feel like, you know, a place that you would say is a great place to come work? What do you think, Anita? Yeah, another point to the Glassdoor thing, that's mostly just big companies out there. Once you get into the Salesforce ecosystem, there's a lot of like small boutique consultancies that they probably don't have a page on Glassdoor. I mean, me, I was myself for an example, like the consultancy I joined, it was a really small boutique consultancy. There's nothing out there. I had no like mutual connections to it. I really had no way to vet the company, but I was just excited to get an interview. And I mean, <laughs> even like when I started working, I was a little iffy until I received my first paycheck. I was like, Oh, this is real. So I mean, sometimes you got to take a chance, but like sometimes you just get a bad feeling or kind of a sixth sense, like something is not right here. They're like red flags. Listen to those instincts because they're probably right. And that's all I have to say about that. I think you're right on the instincts. If it feels 
awkward, chances are that there's something going on. Like if they're not giving you a lot of information, and we've seen this a few times, especially in an ecosystem like Salesforce, where it is you know, extremely high demand, you're going to have basically spammers sometimes in the mix that are trying to get you to give personal information. Oh, we're going to invite you to an interview. Would you give us some information about this or that? And maybe even ask for your social security number. Those are obvious red flags to things you should be very aware of when you're going through this process. That doesn't happen too often. But then other things are, you know, companies that overwork you or the company culture is just to, you know, work 60 hours a week. And that's what they expect out of people. They expect you to work evenings and weekends and all these things. And I really think the best way to handle that is again, you know, when you're going through that interview process, talk to them about work-life balance, like ask those meaningful questions. And if you don't feel like you got a straight answer, then be careful about just accepting a job because it sounds exciting because you got an offer. Yeah. And other red flags, rescheduling your interviews last minute arriving late to the interviews, those are kind of like indicators that mm, work-life balance might not be a priority. So little things like that you'll eventually pick up on, but just keep an eye out for that. So the next question, are Salesforce positions full-time or contract roles? So it can vary. So most of the positions, and when we talk about statistics, like average entry-level salary, $70,000 plus, we're talking about full-time roles. Sometimes you can find a contract role as an entry level. That's far less common than finding just a full-time position as an entry level. Now, contracts do get really popular when you're talking about moving up in the Salesforce world and sort of you know leveling up and they need you for those niche specialty skills. And they'll pay you some pretty extreme rates for maybe like a three-month or a six-month contract to do a specific type of implementation. But no, for entry-level jobs, which is what we typically focus on on this podcast, you're talking about full-time jobs, full benefits, everything you can imagine. So there are no strings attached. You're, you're going to get the 401k and healthcare and all the things you would expect with a typical job. So no, it's not like all of a sudden you're in a contract role and you got to figure out healthcare and you got to figure out retirement and all those things. No, when we share numbers, these are the typical nine to five, full-time, everything included kind of jobs. What I've seen trending is a lot of contract to hire roles. I've seen a lot of those lately. So like initially starts as a contract. So it's kind of like, you know, the company is getting a feel for you to see if like you'd be a good fit. And if you are, normally they'll bring you on as a full-time employee. It's kind of like a free trial period where, you know, you don't have any contracts signed. So if you guys don't like each other, you can just go your separate ways. No big deal. But I've been seeing a lot of those. And they usually, I've seen them range from like three to six months more recently. But Bradley, can you give the audience a kind of an idea of, you know, entry-level full-time positions, we always say around 60 to 80K. Like, how does that translate to a contract role where you might be hourly? Yeah, that's a really good question. So yeah, if you're hourly, you have to consider some things like the cost of private healthcare in your own, obviously, insurance and in that direction. That's the biggest thing. And you're going to have to pay your own estimated taxes because you're not going to be taxed by the company that manages your contract typically. Now, those are some questions you might want to ask. Like, do you guys tax me before sending me the paycheck? Is there healthcare included or health insurance included through this contract? And sometimes there is. But if there's not, you're going to have to find private health insurance and you're going to have to you know, make sure that you're paying your own estimated taxes. So don't go spend every penny that you make because you've got to pay taxes on that. So 
we imagine that a typical entry level based on the data is making about $72,000. So you want to get paid more than that when you're looking for an entry-level contract role because you need to guard against some of those additional fees that you're going to be paying going into it as an independent contractor. So simple math, if you say $40 an hour is what you're getting paid, you can multiply that by two and that's 80. So you're making $80,000 a year. Okay. So if you get paid $40 an hour times two, 80, you make $80,000 a year. Now you're going to have to pay some of your expenses, like we mentioned, healthcare and taxes. So I would say if you're going an entry level, at least shoot for that $40 an hour, maybe $45 an hour. That's going to put you at eighty dollars to $90,000 of gross income. And that'll give you a little wiggle room to work with your expenses on top of that. The other thing I would say is that if a three to six month contract and sort of the company filling you out feels a little unfair where it's like, so what? Like I need to quit my day job and then take a three month contract. So you could potentially say no thanks three months from now. Like that sounds really scary. So the good news is, especially in the Salesforce space, those three months of experience are going to be all that you need to take on the next job. It's much easier after that. I don't think Trent would mind me sharing this, but I actually got... uh, I won't share his last name. That'll be enough for most of the listeners. But Trent messaged me this week and he said, Hey, Brad, I got my first job, full-time job. Wasn't what I expected. The company wasn't challenging me in the way that I was hoping that they would. It turned out the role wasn't quite what they said it would be. And he looked for another job. Three months later, gets a $15,000 raise and is now making you know really great money already, still entry level, just those three months of experience. So just consider that. If you ask me, like if I was going back to the beginning and you said, Brad, would you quit your day job for a three-month contract? 100%, I would quit my day job for a three-month contract just to get my foot in the door because I know how wide the doors open once you have that. Yeah. And I just want to point out the numbers we're sharing are just for US I know we have a lot of Canadian listeners and members, but I I think theirs might be slightly lower or just almost comparable. Yeah, I would say, you know, obviously the rates fluctuate, but I would say in Canada and Australia, what we've seen are the numbers are very similar. Um, In Canada, you're going to see about 80 to 85,000 Canadian entry level, which depending on how that fluctuates, that'd be a little bit different. And then Australia, you're seeing very similar to the US as well. So I think a little bit lower in Canada, but certainly not anything that's like, whoa, this is not a good idea. And then of course, if you're in Canada, the healthcare side of things is completely different than in the US. So of course, I'm sure that our Canadian listeners are are probably more well-versed on how that works in their home country than I, I would say that I would be. Yeah. And then going back to that three-month contract thing, I mean, we just had another member who landed a job recently, Lori, and she asked the question, she's like, is it normal for all these recruiters to be like PMing me in LinkedIn? I was like, yeah, you'd be surprised. Like, I mean, first day, as soon as she changes, it's pretty fast for them. I think for me, it took a couple of months before I started getting bombarded with recruiters just with a few months experience. They want what they can't have. (laughs) So... Speaking of these roles and positions, we tell everyone to get their Salesforce admin certification, but is that the job you're actually applying for? Are there different options and routes that you can take? Yeah, that can be really confusing because you're getting the certification, which is called the Salesforce Administrator Certification, but that doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be a Salesforce Administrator as a job title. So typically, when you get the Salesforce admin certification, or really if you're entry level going into the Salesforce ecosystem, 
you're probably going to be looking for jobs that are either Salesforce administrator, business analyst, or some variety of a junior consultant, apprentice consultant. It goes by a few different names, but at a consulting firm, some of the different firms call it different things. But the bottom line is you're a junior consultant with that company. You might be an analyst consultant or an admin consultant. It just depends. And then obviously, if you're going the developer route, which most people who are transitioning from other careers are not comfortable with like, okay, I got to learn Salesforce and I got to learn a new, like an actual new programming language. So most people prefer to come in as a business analyst or an administrator. And then later, if they find that programming piques their interest, they might start transitioning into that maybe year two. And then speaking of programming, (laughs) I know this is like a... (laughs) A subject that like makes you angry about like admin jobs are going away, become a developer. (laughs) Yeah, no, I've, you know, you have to keep in mind that I've been an admin since day one. I would categorize myself as a Salesforce administrator since my first day on the job. Like I've done a little bit of analyst stuff here and there as needed on projects. But, you know, a lot of what I've done is help people transition into Salesforce administrator roles. And the reason for that is because it's much more understandable for people coming from other walks of life. So they're not just going to walk in and start writing Apex or Java. Like They need a transition step. And then we have developers primarily who are like, oh, the admin jobs are going away. And it's like, man, that's a pretty siloed perspective. Like, Of course, a developer would say admin jobs are going away because that feels good to them, right? Like It makes them feel more needed. But what I'll say is that all Salesforce roles are in extremely high demand. If you want to argue that we need 2 million developers, but we only need 1.5 million admins, then you know you can argue that all day long. That's totally fine. But the bottom line is we need millions of analysts, admins, developers. We, we need it, all of it. And a lot of people say, well, developers get paid more, right? It's like, Yep, that's also true. On average, developers do get paid more. But let's say you're five years into your career. And as a developer, you're making on average... I'm going to ballpark this. I don't have the numbers in front of me. But on average, maybe you're making $170,000 five years into your career. And as an admin, you're only making $150,000 five years into your career. So when you zoom out a little bit, do the $20,000 matter? Absolutely. Are you both making incredible income in the grand scheme of things? Absolutely. So I wouldn't pick my career on what pays the most. I would pick my career on what feels good and what I enjoy doing if we're talking about the difference between 150k and 170k. And I know Anita, you could probably talk some about this because like you're just entering in, you know, a little bit more than a year into the Salesforce ecosystem. How do you feel about that transition and sort of the emergence of what we call declarative functionality? I mean, Salesforce is really like pushing their declarative features and functionality. Like they're really pushing flows and all these automated processes that you can do without needing to code. It's not going the the opposite route where you have to code more. It's going the route you're going to have to code less. So like the barriers to entry as an admin, it's not a lot. I mean, even in my, my day job, like honestly, I don't do too much like, I mean, I, I don't touch code at all. Don't even look at it. I do some declarative work here and there, but most of it is actually just knowing, like when you're first getting into the ecosystem, it's just knowing the capabilities, what's possible to build, because then you can just go and research it or ask a friend on how to actually do it. But knowing what's possible is the most important thing. 
barriers of entry as a developer versus admin. So if you do want to go the developer route, know that Salesforce has their own code called Apex. It's very similar to, I'm drawing a blank here. <laughs> Is it Java? Java, yeah. That's what I've heard. I don't code either. So Yeah, I don't, I don't so even know. That's what I've heard. I've heard it's similar to Java. Have no idea. <laughs> But even then, if you want to go that route, still get your Salesforce admin cert because that's the ABC's bread and butter of everything. Yeah. So, I mean, in my opinion, the bottom line is when you're looking at being a developer, which might pay a little bit more in the long run, and you're comparing that to being an admin or an analyst or you know one of these roles that are easier to transition into, when we're talking to the general public, we're talking to people transitioning from completely other industries or their stay-at-home parents or you know really whatever else when you're trying to learn apex a completely different coding language plus working on your linkedin branding and learning the fundamentals of salesforce and moving through trailhead and get certifications i would really say that advising people to begin as developers in the salesforce space is really putting them on a path to being much more likely to give up and never actually achieving those entry-level jobs because we're looking at six months or less to transition from whatever you're doing today to becoming a Salesforce admin or analyst or junior consultant, where if you're having to layer on learning Apex on top of that, not to mention the frustration of learning to program and the expectation that employers, if you call yourself a developer and you can't code, that's going to be a problem when you get to work where you know, as an admin or an analyst, there's a lot of Googling you can do and support groups and kind of hanging out and, you know, talking to people about these scenarios that are much less technical. So for all those reasons, I would say if you are looking to be an entry-level professional, I would not focus on becoming a developer at all. First, land your Salesforce job, get into the ecosystem. If you start hearing about development and getting some exposure to that and it interests you, then you can start moving in that direction. And I also want to add, I realize I said declarative, but I didn't really define it. And I didn't know this word before I got into Salesforce. When I say declarative, I mean, you're just pointing and clicking, dragging and dropping stuff. Like it's really easy. Anyone can do it. You just need to know the correct things to drag and drop, the correct things to click. It really is that easy. You can do so much without any code at all. All right. So final question that we get a lot. I didn't have to deal with this because I was laid off. Not a big deal. But we talk about LinkedIn and building your profile and building your brand on there. But what if someone is still at their current job? You know, they can't afford to quit their job. And like, they're worried that their boss or their fellow coworkers will see all these changes that they're making on LinkedIn. Like, how do they avoid that? Because they don't want to get fired if, you know, a boss sees is like, hey, what's going on here? Yeah, to your point, that is a really common question. We When we start talking to people about branding and it's like, okay, go on LinkedIn and update your title to this and update your picture to say this and like all these kind of things. And for people who are new to LinkedIn, it's like, okay, cool, I'm going to go do all that. But for people who are in existing careers, especially if they have a LinkedIn profile for the current job, it's like, whoa, like now we're we're sort of easing into some really touchy waters where if my employer sees that I just updated my title to... Salesforce certified administrator, that could tip them off to think that I'm looking to leave. And I am, but I don't want them to know that, right? So there are a few different things we can do to sort of hedge against this. So first I'll say, 
if your LinkedIn profile doesn't have a whole lot of meaningful connections, you haven't been that active, even though you've got one for your job, you're not that active with it. I would say you should probably start a brand new profile and just start from scratch in that instance, because there's not a lot going on with that LinkedIn profile anyway. You can just leave it over there and let it continue to just be. But create a new profile, new imaging. A lot of people, what they'll do, like for me, so Bradley Rice on LinkedIn, I might just go by Brad Rice or I might go by my middle name, last name to sort of defend against people tripping and discovering me. So that's one thing you can do. Create a completely new profile, use a different email address, and start your Salesforce professional persona under a completely new profile. Now, there's an argument where a lot of people will say, well, what if I've got a LinkedIn profile and I've got a lot of really good connections, especially in these industries like financial services, healthcare, maybe coming from a manufacturing background or something like that, and you're you're moving into a similar industry in the Salesforce space, or you want to get attention in those industries in the Salesforce space, there are groups of people who are like, whoa, those connections that you have, those relationships that you have could be extremely meaningful during this transition. Do you really want to let that all go? So you have to tread a little bit more lightly here. What people typically do is you might put in your experience and down in your skills and under your certifications, you're going to list like, okay, I got a new Salesforce certification. You're going to post about that. And in your about section, you're probably going to say that you know you're really interested in Salesforce and all the capabilities of it, and you're just amazed by you know what you can accomplish with a tool like Salesforce. And so now people go, okay, well, how's that different? Like, isn't that still going to pique the interest of my employer? And so what you can do is, I typically recommend if you want to go all out, start your Salesforce playground or dev org and start actually tracking your tasks at work in a Salesforce playground and like start managing your work in a Salesforce playground. That way, if your employer comes along like your manager and they're like, hey, what's all this talk about Salesforce on on LinkedIn? Like, I, I see you kind of have a hobby over here with Salesforce. And it's like, oh yeah, let me share my screen and show you. This tool is so cool. This platform is amazing. Let me show you how I'm managing some of the stuff we do at work right here inside of Salesforce. And it is amazing how much more efficient I can be now that I'm using Salesforce. And we've literally had people who have done this and then their company has implemented Salesforce because they saw what they were doing inside of the org. So it just gives you a chance to learn Salesforce, have a reasonable way to show your employer, you know what, I am using this for my current job and I am excited about what this does for my current job. And if anything, they should probably see that you have like an innovative mind, you're out there exploring new ways to do your job better and you're learning new skills. And that should really be a reason for them to promote you, not to you know look at you and go, hey, wait a second, are you trying to leave us? So there's a few different ways you can spin it, but at the end of the day, it's going to be what's comfortable for you, but you need to find a way to be on LinkedIn. Yeah. And one more layer of protection, you can block people on LinkedIn. So you can block your boss, all your coworkers just in case so they don't see any of those updates. And then you can also unlink the company from your page. So a lot of times in the experience section, you're typing out your company name, it pops up and you can click on it. Um, you can either don't click on it and just hit enter for the company name or have something generic like hospital or school or tire company. That way, there's less of a chance of you appearing on people's LinkedIn feeds. Because honestly, most people like outside of the tech industry, they're not really on LinkedIn. So it, it's pretty rare for that to happen. Yeah. And you can test the waters with some posts and some changes to your profile and see if anybody notices. 
think you would be surprised at how much people are not interested in what you're up to because they are so busy with their lives and their jobs and what they're doing to worry about what changes you're making on LinkedIn. All right. So we answered so many really great questions on this episode. And we have so many more questions that we need to get answered. So I think what we should do is go ahead and do another episode for the next episode that is going to be more of these, you know, more entry level questions. What do you think, Anita? Yeah, thank goodness. I actually had quite a few more on my list that I wanted to add. So I'm happy we're doing another episode. Yeah, let's do it. All right. So join us next week. Hopefully you got good value out of getting these questions answered. And be sure to check in with us next week where we're going to answer more of these more entry level and basic questions. And if you haven't gotten started on your Salesforce journey yet, be sure to head over to talentstacker.com forward slash start. And like Anita mentioned, if you're enjoying the episodes, you feel like you're getting value, please be sure to subscribe and leave us a review on whatever platform you're listening on. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Thank you for joining us today. To get started for free on your own Salesforce career, go to talentstacker.com forward slash start or check the show notes. There you'll find all the resources you need to start earning 60 to 80,000 in as little as eight months, no matter your education or career background. The Salesforce for Everyone podcast was produced by Edmund T and engineered by Andrew Mendonza. If you like what we do at this scrappy can-do podcast, please help others find us by leaving a five-star rating and a great review on whichever platform you're listening to us right now. See you next time.